We won't tell Sam because he's not here. We'll tell, him, we'll tell him the singing was terrible today, okay? Just <laughs> so. <clears throat> Thank you, Nick, Mary, Fola, Balu, and Ime for leading us this morning. Perhaps uh, we could turn in our Bibles um, to Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 21. But before we do this, uh, auditorium, mirroring. Um, Before we do this, I'd like actually if all the students would stand, all of the students, if you're going to be a student, just stand up. Uh, Lekan, you're the senior citizen student for us. <laughs> stand up, stand up, you're a student. I'm going to ask Ime, actually, if he would just have a, a word of prayer for our students. Very important, I think. They're, they're heading back to school, and it doesn't matter whether you're going to Dalhousie or... St. Mary's, or <laughs> NBBI, or wherever it may be, you're going to run into stuff. And you need the Lord's guidance, and you need his hand upon you. So, you may, if you would just kind of lead uh, a word of prayer for the students, that would be great. Thank right. you. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we thank you for your grace that is more than sufficient. You every morning. Thank you for our students heading back to school. Sound that we are more than conquerors through Christ. And so, Lord, I pray you give them the grace, the strength, the enablement that they need to put Christ first in all of their affairs. That Jesus will be number one. And that you will give them the wisdom that they need to be able to work hard and to succeed in their studies. We ask for spiritual protection, physical protection, and that you will their minds from ungodly influences mm. and satanic forces. Mm. Keep them in your love and help them to walk with you. We thank you because Jesus Christ himself in him dwells all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And your word says we are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. Help them to find their joy in you Amen. Thanks, Amen. I, uh, I want to conclude a short series that we started back a, a few months ago, and based on the, uh, the book by James McDonald, Lord Change My Attitude Before It's Too Late, and we have spent some time looking at attitudes, specifically um, five attitudes that sum up into a summary term of murmuring in the, uh, in the Old Testament, and, and these are some of the attitudes that we looked at, uh, five wilderness attitudes that we need to put off if they are in our lives and, um, and f- countered by uh, an attitude that is a promised land, living attitude that God would have us to, to live this way. So putting off complaining and, and putting on thankfulness and, and, and putting off the attitude of covetousness that God isn't sufficient and what he has given us, I need more, I need better and putting on contentment with what we have, and putting off criticism, always being critical and picking apart other people and, and, and thinking of yourself as, as above them and, and to be putting on an attitude of love. And then we thought, this is kind of central to our, our whole life, but doubting. Even though we're Christians sometimes, we, we have issues with doubting. We doubt what the Word of God says, perhaps. And it's a sin, and it's, and it's a wrong attitude. And... God does not want us to live that way, but he would rather us to walk in faith and to to have an attitude of faith. And then the last time, uh, a little over a month ago, we we looked at the the attitude of rebellion, and we looked specifically at 
the rebellion of the sons of Korah, or the rebellion of Korah. And Korah stirred everybody up against Moses and Aaron. And, and you may remember that. And, and then finally God said, I had enough of this. And while they were all standing, with all, even with their children and so on, they were standing at the, ga- at the doors of their, of their tents. The earth opened up and swallowed them all into the earth. And they went down into Sheol, it said, on that day. Now there's a part B to that story. First of all, we're to put off that attitude and put on one of submission. Submission to one another. Submission to authority that's in place over us. As Moses was in authority over Korah at the time. The, the week following that, what was interesting was um, Mark the Jagger was here. There's three the Jagger boys, and I get them, and they all have like four-letter first names, Paul, Luke, and Mark, and I, I get them mixed up. So it was Mark was here the next week, and he spoke on Psalm 46. I don't know if you remember that. Remember Psalm 46? So in my Bible, and in everybody's Bible, because the titles are important in the Bible, in Psalm 46, the very next week, my eyes fell on this, and it was like whoosh right off the page. And I kind of got distracted and couldn't even hardly listen to the rest of the message. It says, for the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Interesting. So it sounds to me like Korah had a couple of boys that said, Dad, I know this thing about Moses and Aaron. You're kind of out of line. We're not standing at the tent with you. So some of his sons were spared and went on to write some of the great psalms of the scriptures. They were great leaders in the temple. Message in that is no matter where you've come from, no matter what your parents might have been like, no matter what your upbringing might have been, no matter who you've been around, God can give you victory, can't he? You can be different from that if you walk with God. Obviously the sons of Korah did. All right, that was really a sidetrack. I don't even have that in my notes, but it's there. So we don't want to be just hearers of the Word of God. The Bible tells us we are to be doers of the Word of God. So I want to take the time today just to kind of do a review. Um, and, but I want to take you to a different passage, to Numbers chapter 21. We finished looking at the five negative attitudes that comprise murmuring. And this is one last passage I'd like to look at. Turn to Numbers chapter 21. But before we, we read that, I want to take you through, because if you haven't been with us, and I know there's some folks that have not been with us from the beginning, I want to take you through some of the... Um, some of the, the history here. So the children of Israel were, were as, as we know, they were slaves in Egypt for, for a long, long time. And Moses was called of God to come and deliver them and to lead them out. And so God promised the Israelites that he would bring them out to a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he delivered them through a, a number of plagues and horrible things that happened in Egypt. And then finally, um, he did lead them out. And, and brought them through, it was about two million of them actually at that time, and he delivered them in many different ways. He parted the Red Sea, a miraculous occurrence where the Red Sea stood up and opened up and they walked through on dry land. And, and, the, and the pursuing era, uh, army of Pharaoh were drowned in the sea. He provided them manna in the wilderness to eat, just heavenly food that just came from, from the sky. He provided them water from a rock to drink. And so the journey took 18 months and covered about 300 miles Twelve of the 18 months were spent at the base of Mount Sinai where Moses was given the Ten Commandments. And then spies went into the land and the spies came back and said, well, you know, ten of them said, well, you know, I don't think we should go. I mean, the people are big. Like, we're like grasshoppers to them. This, this is not really a land that we want to go to. It's, it, it's kind of scary. I mean, there's two million of us, but there's, you know, a bunch of gra- uh, guys there that are bigger than us. Two of them stood out, Joshua and Caleb, and said, no, 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 this is a good land, we're going to go. And so this started a whole thing of murmuring, of complaining and whining. And God finally said, I've had enough of this. So because of this, I am going to, to kill off, basically, the whole group of you from 20 years and up. I'm going to wait, not kill you off, I'm going to wait until you all die, 40 years. You're just going to wander and wander and wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Can you imagine that? I mean, I've taken my kids on trips to Cape Breton when they were young. And Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Just this much more again. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? So can you imagine 40 years of that? The kids saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? When are we going to get there? Well, not until we die. 
then you guys can go in. So that, that would be really, I'm going to use that the next time. When we're driving to MBVI next week, and Mary's going to be there, yes, no, no, not until, not until your parents are gone. <laughs> um, so, you know, you kind of think that they would have learned their, their lesson. So, so now the passage we're going to read is about 40 years later. They've wandered and wandered and wandered. And they're probably sitting there watching for the last of these guys that was 20 years old at the time to take his last breath. And they're saying, come on, come on, come on. Let's get this over with so we can go into the land. Probably not. They're probably sad, actually. But they're waiting for this, this moment. And so now the moment comes. And let's read this in Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 9. I put it in really small font because I want you to open your Bible and turn to it so that you can actually see it and mark it. So... Not really, it's just turned out in small font. Verse 4, Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so many of the people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard or a pole, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard. And it came about... If a man or if a serpent bit any man, he looked on the bronze serpent and he lived. Let's uh, take a moment and pray. Thank you, Father, for bringing us here this morning. I pray that as we look at uh, this passage, that you will teach us all a lesson in some manner that we need to know, whether it's a change in our attitude, or whether it's a change in our heart, or whether it's someone who needs to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would work among us and work in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that I want to mention here is that, and, and the first point is that the circumstances of life will often lead to a fork in the road. Now, Yogi Berra, um, if you know who Yogi Berra was, baseball coach for the New York Yankees, he always had these, these great expressions, and he said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. So, <laughs> Ralph, you get that, right? Yeah, <laughs> good. <laughs> when you come to a fork in the road, Take it. Okay, hard audience this morning. <laughs> so often we'll come to a fork in our road and we're saying, like, what do we do now? Like, I don't like the way this is going. I mean, I, I don't know how to make this decision. I don't know what to do. So here is the land of Edom that is the most direct route to the promised land. And if I had a pointer, I'd point up here. But if you went straight up to where they were going to go, they're going to Canaan. You see Edom is circled here it will be really easy to just go straight through and then you're right into Canaan and everything's cool. Edom, and the reason I put this genealogical chart up here, Abraham had a son, as you know, Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob, from whom the children of Israel descended. And then he had another son, Esau, of whom the Edomites came from. So they were, they were brothers. Jacob and Esau were brothers. They didn't get along, but they were brothers. And Jacob was always trying to steal stuff from Esau. So they were not necessarily what you'd call the best of buddies, but they were, they were yet nonetheless, they were brothers. So when Moses went to, to the leaders in, in Edom and said, look, I'm leading a few people and just need to take them through uh, on our journey. We won't touch anything. We won't take anything. We just want to walk right through your land. We'll leave everything. We won't, we won't even mess it up. Whatever we mess up, we'll, we'll fix, okay? And we just want to go to this land. And the Edomites are saying, yeah, right, a few people, two million. So two, pe two million people are going to walk through our land, and they're not going to touch anything. Don't believe you, no. So now they're stuck. They've got to go around. So this is what happens. They set out to go around Edom to go to Canaan, to the promised land. Well, it says, and the people became impatient because of the journey. Why couldn't we go straight? Why do we have to go all the way around here? Why, 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 why are we doing this? So, so you'd think that they kind of learned from their, from their parents, but they didn't. 
They couldn't control their route. They couldn't control the climate. They couldn't control their diet. There's only one thing that they could choose. What would that be? Their attitude. I can't control where I live. I can't control where I work. I can't control how the teacher or my boss treats me. And I can't control how you live your life. I can't control any of those things. But I can't control my attitude towards all of those things, can't I? I can control my attitude towards where I live. I can control my attitudes about where I work. I can control my attitudes about how my boss treats me. I can control my attitude towards you, even if I don't like the way you're living. And they, their attitude is what got them in trouble every single time. Now, these are the children of the ones who were doing all the complaining before. We've said it over and over and over again in this series. Your attitude is a choice. My attitude is a choice. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we have very little control. And what will separate us from going into a good or a bad direction is the attitude that we choose. If we choose to have a bad attitude, it's going to take you into a worse place. If I choose a good attitude, it will take me into a better place. Your life doesn't have to be dry and cheerless and dead. You can have a life that's full of joy, peace, and contentment, but it's all tied to your attitude in life. Now, sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but you find yourself waking up and, and your day is going okay. Sun is maybe shining, maybe, Nova Scotia. It has all summer, though. That's nice. And, you know, you have your first cup of coffee, and then your second, and then you get to work, and you greet everybody, and everything's good. And then the first thing that happens when you when you're get to the office, somebody comes in and says something to you, and then all of a sudden your car is just kind of sideways in the tracks for the rest of the day. And you just want to tear everybody's head off. The next person that comes through my office, man, I'll tell you. Why does that happen? Why do we get that way? Often it's tied into our attitude. I, I look at it and think, yeah, sometimes my attitude stinks and just gets me in a funk for the whole day whether it's at home, whether it's at work, or where, whatever it might be. So this verse is quite a verse. If you look at Numbers chapter 21, verse 5, it says, The people spoke against God and Moses, and they said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. Now, I'll tell you one thing that these guys did. They learned really, really well from their parents. Because what it took their parents, five or six verses to say, they got it all in one. So all five attitudes... Really, all five wilderness attitudes are really summed up in this one verse. You see, they spoke against God and Moses. Criticism. Rebellion. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? They doubted God's goodness. Just doubt. They're filled with doubt. There's no food and there's no water. Is that true? God gave them food out of heaven. Manna. He gave them water out of a rock. If you read in chapter 20, Moses was supposed to speak to a rock, but instead he, he struck it, but water gushed out. I mean, how good is that water? I bet you it beats Big Eight. So they had water that was like the best water ever. They had food provided every single morning when they went out, fell out of heaven. But they want it more. They want it better. They want it different. I'm tired of this. I want something new. I want two terabytes. I want, you know, it's got to be bigger. It's got to be better. What I'm getting right now is not good enough. Coveting. And then, how about this? We loathe this miserable food. Huh? Loathe this miserable food. Food that fell from the sky, no work to do, go out and pick it up. From the hand of God. We loathe this miserable food. Talk about complaining. So why does God feel so strongly about our attitudes? I mean, sometimes we, we fool ourselves into thinking it's all about action. Don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery. Be good to your neighbor, and you'll be okay. But you see, what God sees, he's looking past action, and he's looking at attitude. He's looking at how we think. How we act It comes out of how we are on the inside. I'm going to give you three reasons why God is concerned about our attitudes. First of all, the attitude reveals the true person. Jesus said these words, the things which proceed out of the mouth 
come from the heart. Do you ever have something come out of your mouth and say, ooh, I didn't mean to say that. Well, you probably did mean to say that because that was right in your heart. Sometimes it's best when you don't speak from the heart, isn't it? Because what's in the heart is, is deceitful and sometimes it's, it's a bad attitude. We can get our external behavior in order. Sometimes we can look all shiny and nice on the, on the outside, but you're a mess on the inside. And when that comes out, it's ugly. The attitude inside is what needs to be worked on. God isn't interested in soldiers that look the part. God wants soldiers that will be the part. That will be the part. Our hearts in tune with him. He looks on the heart because that's where the true person lives. The goal is not a makeover, but a heart transformation requiring us to work on our attitude, to change our attitude, to change in the being of what we are and who we are. Secondly, our attitudes predict the future. What do you mean by that? Well, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says, a person, As a person thinks in his heart, so he is. We said many times that attitudes are patterns of thinking that form over long periods of time. You know, you can't think in a critical, negative, fault-finding way all the time without that coming up, without becoming that person. You are a miserable person. If you're going to act like a miserable person, if you think that everybody around you is miserable, if you're fault-finding all the time, if you're always negative, if you're always down, then you are going to be that. You know, we say, you are what you eat, but really, in a spiritual and more deep sense, you are what you think. You are what you are in your heart. And that's why God gets very concerned about our attitudes, because you become what you think about. The third thing is, God is focused on our attitudes because they are primarily vertical. Vertical is that way, just, I have to remind myself. They're vertical. You see, sins like lying, stealing, fault-finding, all of that stuff, coveting, they're this way, horizontal. Me towards you, I stole from you, I told a lie about you, I told a lie to my mom, I did that. that that's that's kind of on a horizontal plane. But when it comes to, ultimately, and they are against God too, but attitudes are, tend to be directly vertical, directly against God. I'm complaining. God, you haven't given me enough. I'm a thankless person. I can't give thanks for anything. That's directed to God, who has blessed you. I'm complaining. I'm fault-finding. I hate my brothers. They're just, they drive me crazy. Hmm. Uh, they're your brothers because of him. And uh, Margie's laughing because she's got three brothers. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Struck a nerve, I can see. <laughs> so, when we sin, and we say, and you notice, like, if you go through these passages that we read in chapters 11 to 14, they, they come back and, say, and Moses will say, why have you sinned against God? Why have you done this against God? Why have you tested the Lord? Why have you resisted the Lord? God considers our attitudes against him. And that's why he takes them seriously. The next thing is, we're going to see from this passage, that God will deal aggressively with murmuring. Look at verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Now, I remember when I was a kid, um, I had a, a, a picture Bible. And uh, uh, it was all black and white because there was no such thing as color back then. Uh, that was back in the early 17th century. But I was looking at this picture Bible. Mark, that's what he always reminds me, that I'm like older than the earth. But uh, I remember looking at this, and there was this picture of the people and Moses holding this thing up. And all these serpents biting them. Now, as a person who really hates and despises and is scared to death of snakes, if you want me to just drop dead of a heart attack, put a snake anywhere near me. That's just the way it is. And I remember a picture like this, only much more graphic in black and white, with people like screaming with snakes stuck all over them, and thinking, ugh, that had to be horrible. Well, it was. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among them. Now, fiery literally means snakes that when they bite, they produce a burning. And they had a venomous bite that caused burning in the bodies of the people. Now, serpent in Scripture is a picture of what? Satan and sin, isn't it? Remember back to the Garden of Eden. So it's not surprising that God sent serpents as a consequence of their sin. So repentance from the murmuring brings access to God's provision for victory. So how do we get out of this situation? Look at verse 7. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, because we have spoken against the Lord and against you. 
Notice when they come to this point, they say, we have sinned. We have sinned. It's repentance. And it's impossible to restore a a, a right relationship with God without repentance. If you don't turn from your sin, if you don't desire to turn from your sin. See, here's what repentance is. It's coming to God and saying, I'm wrong and you're right. My attitude is wrong. I can try to rationalize it, but ultimately I'm wrong. And God, you're right. That's what repentance is. My attitude is wrong. Every step towards God or forward with God begins with that sentence. God, I'm wrong and you're right. Every step forward with God begins with that. You are right. I am wrong. It begins with the admission that your pattern of thinking is wrong. If you want to change the way you think, if you want to change the way you act, you have to come to a point where you agree with God. In verse 7, it says, So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord. And you intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. So Moses interceded for the for the people. I don't know whether he just went over into a corner somewhere and prayed or went into a tent or whatever he did. But anyway, he, he, he sat down and talked with God and said, people are dying here. Please, take the serpents away. Now I want you to notice something. God didn't take the serpents away, did he? Does it say anywhere? God's, Moses went to God and said, God, take the serpents away. And he goes, you don't want serpents? Okay, sure, no, no problem. I'll take them out of there. Everything will be good. No, no problem. No, he didn't take them away. And so what's the point in that? It sort of sounds like my life sometimes. God doesn't take away the hard things that bring me back to him. Those difficulties are still there. The challenging boss, the difficult teacher, the hard-to-live-with neighbor, the stuff that, that brings you to God. Say, God, I don't know how to deal with this anymore. I don't know how to do this job anymore. This boss is so hard. This teacher's riding me like crazy. I can't stand it. Does it, do you pray, take the teacher away, and the teacher just dropped dead, and then somebody else comes in and takes his place? Doesn't happen that way, does it? The teacher's still there when you show up the next day. But he helps you get through those things. The way he looks at it is, you know what? No serpents, no sense of need. No sense of need, then no coming to God. No trial, no sense of need. No sense of need, then no coming to God. Of course I'm not going to take that away. That's the thing that brought you back to me. I'm going to leave that there so you keep coming back to me. And sometimes it's really hard in our lives, but there are things that you just want to go away. Paul talked about a thorn in the flesh, never told what it was. Who knows what it was? He said, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. I pled with him several times, take it away, please. And he didn't. Guess what he said? My grace is sufficient for you. I will provide a way for you to live with that difficult thing. He seldom removes the serpents, but his grace provides relief and healing from it. Now look at verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses, The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent, and he set it on a standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. God provides a remedy. Moses had a bronze serpent made, stuck it on a pole in the middle of the camp, and all the people who were bitten by the fierce and deadly fiery snakes, all they had to do was look, and they would live. So just, just so I can put that in terms we understand, there's this bronze snake on a pole, You've been bitten. Look, and you will live. Look, and you will live. So do we, need, like we don't need a workshop on how that works, right? It's pretty easy, pretty simple. Look, and you live. It's that simple. But the passage would imply where it says, if a serpent bit a man, when he looked, to the bronze serpent he lived, it would imply that there are some who didn't look. There are some who still died. They got bitten by a snake and they still died. God provided a remedy and they chose to ignore it. Here's this serpent on a, on a, on a pole and people, they, they didn't look. They just ignored it. And they died. 
Now it seems odd. Like you're thinking, no way, that can't be true. But it is true. They understood the plan. They needed the healing. But they wouldn't look. Now what are some of the reasons why they wouldn't look? Uh, first of all, I think they denied their need of they deny their need for help. They're thinking, you know what? It's not that bad. It's just a, a little snake bite. It burns right now, but I'll get better. I'm sure it'll go away. I'll heal myself. I'm okay. I'll handle this my own way. Never mind this stupid scheme of Moses. That's too simple. I'll work it out. Or maybe they just denied God's goodness. Says, yeah, yeah, God sent those snakes in the first place. Now I'm going to trust him now and look at that? You've got to be kidding me. I'll just try my own way. I'm going to ignore that. That's foolishness. Pfft. Go away. Third, maybe they just denied they had a problem. I don't need to be healed. I'm not sick. There's nothing wrong with me. Uh, dude, you got a couple of bites on your leg. Yeah, it's a, I scratched it on, the, on some grass. No, 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 no. You've been bitten by a snake. You're going to die. Look, and you'll live. No, 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 no. No, I'm not sick. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm good. I'm a good person. I'm, I'm not afraid of no snakes. They won't bother me. And you see, perhaps you're thinking, people wouldn't really do that. You've got to be kidding me. They do it every day. Come down to Spring Garden Road. Darcy, you've been there. The young people, we've been there. And you'll watch countless people walk by as the gospel is being preached, as they're being told the good news, as they're given words of life. And they just walk by. No, 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 no. I don't need that. Hey, one lady last time. Hey, don't give me that. I go to church every Sunday. On their way. Every week. They ignore. They're not sick. They don't have need. And here they are, they hear a truth that will change their lives for a million, million years, and they choose to ignore it and just walk away. What about you? Maybe there's somebody here this morning and, you, and you've heard the message, and it's hit you where your heart is. Maybe, maybe you come and say, okay, I, yeah, 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 I hear this, but this is not for me. I don't have a problem with my sin. It's okay. I'm not sick. I don't need to be healed. I don't need... Salvation. I don't need Jesus Christ. I don't need to look and live. That's a foolish decision. You will die. Every person in that field, in that wilderness, when they were bitten by a snake, if they didn't look, they died. It's really simple. Look and live. Don't look and die. That's how it works with Jesus Christ. You see, before it's too late, you need to look. Jesus Christ himself, in John chapter 3, verse 14, we all know John chapter 3, verse 16. Everybody knows this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Everybody knows that verse. In fact, there's people who go to football games with it on their eyes, they go to football games with signs, they go to NASCAR. You see it everywhere. Everybody knows that verse. But a lot of people don't pay attention to the two verses before that, where Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he's talking about this very day, he's talking about this very event, look and live. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. If you do not believe in him, if you do not look to the Savior, you will not have eternal life. It's as simple as that. It's the same as those who were bitten by the snakes and they died. I'm not one who likes to look into the Bible and say you know, it's full of allegories and, and so on and so on. But when Jesus Christ himself goes back and references a passage of the Old Testament, I take it very seriously. He's looking back at this saying, this is a picture of what's to come. The Son of Man will be lifted up. I will be put on a cross so that whoever looks to me will live. And I don't know if everybody here has looked to him. But if you haven't, I would plead with you this morning, look to Jesus Christ. He is the only answer. There is no other way to live. If you do not look, you will not live. If you look, eternal life starts for you at that moment. Your life changes for billions of years to come. You will live if you look to him. I'm going to bring this, this to a conclusion, and this is, really concludes the the whole series, and I'm actually finishing early. 
You know, if I add it all up, we've put lots of hours into hearing the Word of God. Sometimes we don't think of that. We come here on Sunday, and um, you know, somebody might have put a lot of hours into getting ready for the message, but you have sat here, and think about it. At least if you come every Sunday, you've put 52 hours into hearing the Word of God this year. That's a lot of hours to invest, isn't it? In sitting and hearing the Word of God. And if it doesn't change our lives, if it doesn't make any impact in our lives, it's, it's, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time for everybody. But especially for you. I'm not saying don't come next Sunday because, you know, I, I just figured it out. That guy's up there and I'm wasting my time coming to listen to him for an hour. But we've put a lot of time in it. It's a shame if we do that and it doesn't change the way we live. If it doesn't have an impact in our life. There's very few things that I would put 50 hours into in my life that does not bring about something. And we're talking about bringing about change in our lives. And if you walk away today and think, okay, you know what? Yeah, I, I hear you. You've talked about attitudes, 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 attitudes since last Thanksgiving. I'm going to go and I'm going to try to be a better person. I'm going to try to change my attitude. Well, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. It won't work. It's not about self-renovation. It's not about self-improvement. It's not about trying. Everything that we say, everything that we've said, is about Jesus Christ. He's the answer. He's the only answer. Your ability to change or try to change is not the answer. Renovation by yourself is not the answer. The answer is turning to Him, walking with Him personally, having Him change your life. Without him, you'll never get out of the wilderness. I'll never get out of the wilderness. Even if you're a Christian and you're trying to do this to your, by yourself, it won't work. Making resolutions like, I'm going to be more thankful, or I'm going to try to be more loving, or I'm going to stop complaining. And they simply don't work. I've tried that. Not just at New Year's. Okay, you know what? Yeah, 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 I've got to be more thankful. Okay, so uh, let me think. Yeah, let me make a list of five things I'm thankful for. Well, you know what? Three days later, you're going, ugh. Man, why do people treat me that way? Oh, wish I had more of this. Blah, blah, blah. You get the point. But you see, here's what it is. Here's the key to all of it. I need to allow Christ to live his life in me and through me. I need him living in me. When I surrender my heart and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't change my own life. I can't change my own heart. You need to do it for me. My own efforts, they fail. All the time. My own strength, my own flesh, I can't do it. I remember the man who, who led me to Jesus Christ. He shared a verse with me. It's up on the wall behind me. And he said, here, if I never tell you anything else, if this is the only thing that you ever remember from what I've said, and it's probably one of the only things I remember from what he said, and he was a wonderful man, still a good brother. I still keep in touch with him. He said, here's the secret to life, the Christian life. And don't ever forget it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I said, hmm, what's that mean? He said, well, when, when you become one of his, when you're saved, Jesus Christ comes to live in you. And you're going to try all through your life to work and strive and do the Christian life thing, and you're going to try this over and over and over again, and, and you're going to find you're going to fail a whole lot. Oh boy, I'm sure glad I signed on for this. But he said, but you can do it. I said, how can I do it? You just told me I can't. He goes, no, you can't, but Christ in you can. If I tap into every day, Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. There is hope. Christ lives in me. There is hope. Christ lives in me. If I can tap into that, and I don't mean just repeat that over and over again like a ritual, but just understand that Jesus Christ himself lives in me through his Holy Spirit. That is the hope of glory. A verse that's a favorite of mine, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. A couple years ago, I went to family camp, PEI. I couldn't believe Peter Kerr said, yeah, I'm going to speak on Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I said, yeah, and, and what, what are you speaking about tomorrow? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I thought, well, wait a second, I've got 10 messages to go, brother. Yeah, they're all on Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Ten messages on one verse. It's the most powerful verse, I think, in the Scriptures. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's the key to life. That's the key to change in your life. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, you died with him. And now he puts his own life, his resurrected life, in you, that you may live. It's not about changing your attitude on your own. It's about tapping into Jesus Christ in you and asking him to change your attitude for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you can lead us out of murmuring and wilderness attitudes and you can lead us into joy and fullness in your presence and peace in our lives. And it's only through knowing Jesus Christ. It's only through the life that he puts in us that we can do it. There's no other way. Lord, I, I know myself, and I'm sure others here will say the same thing. We've tried and failed in our own strength. It just doesn't work. Lord, I pray for each person here that we would understand and know the joy of Christ living in us. And Father, the challenge of this passage, when we think of it, these people were dying. And you provided salvation from a bronze serpent lifted up on a pole. Look and live. And Father, we look at the world around us and we realize it's dying. And you have provided salvation in the Lamb of God, lifted up on a cross in Calvary to take all of our sins, to take them all upon himself and to die in our place. And if we look as the that is the only way of salvation. Father, we will live not only today, but we will live for eternity. Praise you for what you've done. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to sing, if we could, one song as we, as we go. And I'm sorry, boys, at the back, I didn't tell you this. Uh, Christ liveth in me. It's number 411 in the, uh, in the book, if, if you need to look it up by the number. Christ liveth in me. We'll stand and we'll sing. Sorry, I meant to tell the guys at the back. and They're, they're looking for it. Sorry. this awkward moment, I say, so how's everybody doing? <laughs> Hungry? <laughs> we can. Yeah, why don't we sing the chorus while we're waiting? Thank you. Thank you for your patience. And we'll call it a day.
gate. <laughs> well, it's got my name on it. You must got my bottle. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry, guys. Didn't mean to throw a curveball at you there.